Hi, everybody. Welcome to Tech Tuesday on INE Live. I'm your host, Katherine Brown. Glad you're with us today. We have a great show coming at you. We're talking about how to get started on your cybersecurity journey, some specific steps you can take to plan for and take your first steps into a cybersecurity role. We have INE Director of Cybersecurity Content, Jack Reedy, here with us today, a passionate and a very knowledgeable voice in the cyberspace. First, as we do each week, though, I wanted to let you know we are streaming live right now across social media platforms, including LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. Be sure to like and subscribe on the social platform you're watching so you can stay in the loop when we do go live and get those alerts. Want to get you involved talking to us, talk to others in the chat. We'd love to see that. I'm looking at chat right now, and I've already seen people talking back and forth about uh, how to get into cyber. Jack's jumped in there a couple times. We're monitoring chat here on our side. If you have a comment, feel free to drop it in chat. If you have a question, put a cue at the beginning so we can find those questions really easily as we're combing through. We'll get to as many as we can today. Love to hear from you. Thanks for being big participants in this conversation. With that, Jack, thanks for being here to you as well. Let's get to it. First, a big question that a lot of people have, what is cybersecurity as it relates to a career? Oh, well, thank you. And thank you for the uh, warm welcome to start off. Um, yeah, so cybersecurity as it relates to a career is the art or the um, act of protecting information systems, usually around what's called the CIA triad, confidentiality, integrity, and availability. I swear, coffee will kick in at some point. Um, but regarding it as a career, it's specifically the practices or the tactics, the procedures, or even the management of applying certain protections, monitoring for any dissuasion from those protections, or simply just the management and planning when it comes to things like architecture or uh, configurations, if you want to go into engineering. Um, with that, I also want to give a reminder that it is October, so Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So definitely going to be something that we're continuing to hit on and talk about throughout this week, as well as um, the remainder of the month. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, we uh, we have some special things coming at you for Cybersecurity Month, uh, Cybersecurity Awareness Month. We're going to let you know about those at the end of the show, but um, a very appropriate time to, to be having this conversation. And just to your point, Jack, cybersecurity, there, I feel like there are so many areas that you can get into. Like it's, not, it's not like one field, right? It's one giant field with a, a ton of these little specialties branching off of it. Yeah, so it's very similar to like law or medical. And one of the biggest questions that I get all the time is, how do I get into cybersecurity? And it's like, okay, well, how do you become a lawyer? How do you get into medical? It's you have to choose where you want to go and then start planning your path from there. Um, in the aspect of how big and wide is it, it's generally broken down into blue team, red team, and then engineering, or also known as yellow team. Um, but choosing what you do and do not, you know, where you want to go and how to do that path, that's kind of what I'd like to talk about a little bit today. Yeah, and, um, I, you know, I, I think a lot of people think, Let's go for cyber, right? You get in, it's quickly pretty lucrative. You can make a fair amount of money right out of the gate versus some other jobs where you have to work a little bit longer. Um, but getting into the market, even with all those job postings out there and you see there, there's a huge need for cybersecurity experts uh, throughout fields, but it can be challenging really breaking into it. So um, what can people who are just getting into the field expect to find and why is it so difficult to break in? So um, yeah, to your point, the need that you're the need right now is I think last check was like 3.2 million available jobs worldwide. Uh, so massive need. So you would think that it would be something that's really easy to walk into, right? And but that's not what we're finding. A lot of the um, feedback that we're getting from people, from you know, students, from individuals, or even people that have a couple of years of experience is it is extremely difficult to get your foot in the door. Um, INE and what we're focusing on too is to help start that conversation, remove some of the barriers to entry. But I think the first thing you can expect, and you really any student that's um, either student or somebody that is practiced and still trying to land that first job should understand it's not always this difficult. The most difficult thing that you will do in your cybersecurity career is get your foot in the door. That is the biggest task. And the hardest, the heaviest lift that you'll have to do. 
and it's a little unfortunate because it comes so early on in your career. It's the first thing you got to do, right? Um, and that's that's not to say, and just speak to what you're talking about. It's lucrative. It there's the jobs are there, they're available. But some of the things that people can experience is while the jobs are available, one of the things that you'll find is small roadblocks that we try to identify and and give solutions to work around. So, for example, I don't think you'll ever find. I won't say ever, but you'll you'll be hard pressed to find a job posting, job description that says something to the term of no, you know, training or no uh, experience is required, because then HR gets inundated with ten thousand requests of people that don't even understand what a computer is. So there are some pre-screening things that will go in there just to save some man hours and filtering things like one to one to three years of experience. And I think that we have an issue where, and I'll, I'll get into a couple more of those a, a little bit later on, but I think that we have an issue where the translation is not occurring. There is a couple different viewpoints. There is the individuals that are doing the job searching who have um, some experience, but not quite know the ins and outs yet. You have HR who has the need that they're trying to fill but not necessarily the full technical spectrum to understand uh, what is being asked for by the hiring manager. And then you have the hiring manager themselves who has this picture, this idyllic picture of who the person is filling this post is in their mind. We talk about things that are the unicorn candidate where you have you know, this massive laundry list of things that they should be able to do and they can do. And, you know, they, they are ready to go on. They're basically a Swiss army knife in your back pocket of cybersecurity skills. Um, I've also seen another issue where because the translation piece is so vague on the HR front, you have people that have entry level or at least marked entry level uh, cybersecurity roles that are asking for CISSP, which is a mid-level industry cert that takes a minimum of five years of experience to even apply for. You have, and then with that, they're also asking for things like, you must have a bachelor's degree, preferably in bachelor's of science. It's preferable if you have a master's degree and the role is entry level. And, you know, the, the years of experience and the requests and the requirements don't really add up. So some of the things that the people can, you know, those that are trying to break into this field, that you can anticipate is there's going to be times where you're just not a you're mixed match offering um odds are you're probably not going to hit all the necessary wickets on a you know a job description or posting um and that you might feel a little bit out of your league and that's okay just wanted to let everyone know that one this isn't difficult your first job is your first job is very difficult to land once you're on the end and you start understanding the terminology, the operations, the things like that, finding your, especially when you can put down some hands-on working experience with an employer on your resume, it becomes a lot easier for you to transition from other roles into other roles into other jobs. And we know that the difficulty is there for the new time, for the first, um, for the first time employee. And we are working to help support with venues like this, with um, we'll, we'll have career paths coming in a little bit as well. We talked about in the Redefine event and a couple other tools that we have in the pipeline as well to help support you through this, this process. Also, please take a look at our community forums to venture issues uh, or your considerations or your concerns too. Yeah, and we've heard, this is something that uh, we've heard over and over again. I personally have heard it from recruiters. Um, here on this stream at Redefine uh, and through other conversations about this disconnect between HR and and these technical roles. Um, so I think that's some great advice, Jack, that, that you know, you're speaking directly and saying, hey, you, you don't have to, don't feel like you have to check every single box before you apply for that. Um, yeah, I just got a, going off script for a second, I just got a, a text message from 
a guy who we've been following here at INE. He, he's been great, but he was just has been trying to break into cybersecurity at his first role for a long time, for months. And we've been watching him go through this process and thinking, yeah, yeah, I have a job. No, all right, I have another lead. No, but uh, just got a text message from him as we're standing here that you know he he got a job and he's in and um, he's talking about you know getting his equipment, getting started in the next few weeks. So um, super exciting. So it can happen. But to your point, it really does take that persistence and that grit, right? It, it does. And I think that part of it is taking your experience and taking your passion and being able to translate that to uh, the prospective employer. Being able to say that, you know, I love this because you give me somebody with passion, I can teach them any, any you know, job role that I need. It's, it's not... The, the, the issue isn't necessarily that people do or do not understand the technical requirements. It's having the, the fortitude to stay up late and research stuff you don't understand because you really are interested in this technology and you want to solve these problems. So it's, one, it's, it's this weird combination of both hard, you know, hard skills, technical capability, um, mixed with soft skills in the self-learning, self-education, as well as the tenacity to continue on whenever you meet a wall. That, that tenacity, that passion, I think is probably as important, if not more, in this field than, than probably any other. Um, coming through the, uh, the audience questions here, and thanks so much. We have a really active group here with us today. But I wanted to get to a question from Mike. He's watching on YouTube, um, who, who is asking, what are some of the common interview questions asked in cybersecurity? I have an upcoming interview, um, already have a network background, mostly in routing switching, but not in security. So assuming you can get past, right, you, you, you're, you're persistent, um, you get past that first step and you get to an interview process, what are you likely to hear in this interview? So I, I, I just off the bat, I'm going to go ahead and say it depends on your what job you're interviewing for, because if you're in red team, you can expect some hands-on, possibly um, show me how to use these tools, take a crack at hacking this box or something like that. If you are in vulnerability management, or you are in some form of, um, you know, application testing, probably very similar. If you're going into instant response or SOC or blue team or building, that's where I think you would have more verbal questions, reason out the thought process. What is it like to, um, if you, you're faced with this challenge, take me through your steps on how to research this stuff. How would you, go through the actual process. Those I find tend to be more process-related questionnaires. Occasionally they'll put you hands-on, but the thing, the biggest challenge that we have with cybersecurity is that we deal with so many different technologies. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, thinking out loud, and I wanna say when I was operations, you know, moving, moving away from, um, I, moving into this role, I'm not exactly hands-on uh, checking tickets every day. But when I was doing that, I wanted to say I had about 20 to 30 passwords between all the accounts that I would use and security tools that I would use in a day, which, you know, well, why does that matter? Because that's how many different technologies I was working with. And it varied greatly from job to job. So when you get into these roles, it's more so about being able to discuss how you would work through processes in environments and technology that you don't necessarily understand, even when it comes to pen testing. Sometimes you have to live off the land. How, you know, these tool sets won't work or they have an, a signature that's attached to them and will light up like a Christmas tree. How do you work around these things? So I think um, what you're seeing a lot in the interview process is one half of the hard skills describe, you know, this type of technology to me or what it uses, are you familiar with it? And then, um, the other half is going to be the soft skills, soft skills questionnaire of describe these types of processes that you'll run into. Um, based on what you're describing, if you're going blue team, definitely brush up on PySeral and kill chain analysis. If you're going into red team, uh, take a look at the red team processes, TTPs, and um, threat emulation. How to you know study and react like the um, adversary group that you're trying to pretend you're, you are. 
off the land. You heard it here, folks. Live off the land, right, Jack? That is great advice. Hope you got a lot uh, out of that, Mike. Thank you for the question. Um, Jack, with all the difficulties of, you know, these disconnects with HR and, and just the difficulties and the challenging of challenges of, of getting into your first job, um, do you look at this as more of a, of a backwards placement like do you do you start by saying okay eventually I want to be this so I'm going to start by by being this do you do you kind of backwards plan or do you start by saying okay I want to do this right now and hopefully I'll grow to this well yeah I think you absolutely backwards plan so um, for those of you unfamiliar with it it's uh, backwards planning is you start with a goal destination and then you work you make a couple points of checkpoints if you will as to how you'll get there and then you start flushing out the details along the way as well so in this case i think that what's necessary when it comes to your career planning is instead of saying i want to be in cybersecurity, do a little research and figure out where do i want to be you know an, an attacker do i want to be a defender do i want to be somebody that engineers and builds. Because, um, I mean, you can go and get a software engineering degree and be somebody that builds up security software from the ground up and you're still working in cybersecurity versus somebody that comes with certs only, loves penetration testing, does everything that we have to offer in all of our labs, and then lands a first-time job as, you know, a junior pen penetration testing analyst. Um, having said that, what idea and you don't you don't need to have such finite goals as i want to be a CISO one day or i want to be an architect and start planning your entire 20 year career period that doesn't make sense but at least understanding that in the next three to five years i want to be a penetration tester that's a good starting point so when you're working backwards from there what you want to do is you want to look for how do i become a penetration tester well before that it's junior penetration tester that's the role okay um, so how do I become that? And then you can start doing research on how to become a junior penetration tester. Now, what I've done this research, I've looked it up just to understand what's out there currently. And what you'll find is uh, several articles all over the place, but a lot of difficulty in um, making sense of it all, right? It's just a lot of information and who's right, who's wrong, and you don't have time to check all the reputation between things. Now, we are working on career paths, which will help, um, clarify some of those things, but something that you can do by yourself is you can take the job that you want, your next step. I want to get into cybersecurity, and I will do that by becoming a junior penetration tester. Start going on things like LinkedIn, Indeed, and all these other jobs, job boards, job skills. Find any and every single role that is currently being offered that says one to three years of experience or junior penetration tester or entry-level penetration tester or something to that, to akin to that, right? And then you go down to the, not just the description, but grab the description and requirements and qualification sections of each of those job postings and put them all into a gigantic sheet. Then you start grouping the like billets, bullet points all together. Must be able to do a pen test process to uh, produce a vulnerability assessment report. Must be able to work with these technologies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what you'll find as you group these things together, that things like must be able to conduct a pen test. There'll be, if you did this across five job listings, that'll be across all five. So you can summarize that into one single bullet point, put a five next to that bullet point, and then you'll, what you'll find after you Whittle all of this information down from job descriptions, job listings, and job, you know, postings that people of what actual companies are currently looking for. You'll have a summarized bulleted list with a quantifiable metric of how important these job roles and skills are, including both soft skills as well as the actual technologies that you need to study. And utilizing this now quantifiable list, you can prioritize your prioritize your time in your effort and calculate your ROI or return on investment. Now keep in mind, time itself is a resource. That is part of your investment. So if you, it's not just, you know, the available funds. So for example, 
INA or subscription pass, really great ROI on your you know finances. But the time, ours is also good on the time, I'm just saying, but my point being is that, can you wait four years to go through a program? How much of an investment are you doing in time to get to this path where you have a certification, a degree, uh, how much is it gonna cost you financially? How much time is it gonna take? Once you start looking at the actual metrics of the available paths, you're basically creating, you know, like a, a ways path through your career. And with that, you can start putting checkpoints at those checkpoints. Like I said, I want to be a junior penetration tester. Uh, judging by my return on investment, if I do all of these things, I can spend this amount of money. I can spend nine months, six months, however much. And I can meet that goal by this time. And it will have cost me this much money. They're able to start making really great decisions about how you want to move forward in your career and anticipate some of these roadblocks that I've already talked about in putting your foot in the door. So for you, instead of, you know, trying to stick your foot in the door, and by the way, those who don't understand, because it is an idiom and it's, um, I know that we have an international audience, sticking your foot in the door comes from a sales tactic where Back when people used to, at least in America, go door to door, knocking on the door to sell stuff door to door. And it could be, you know, vacuum cleaners, paint sales. Personally, I actually used to do door to door vacuum cleaner sales way back in the day. But getting your foot in the door was literally an idiom for talking to somebody who opened the door wide enough for you that you could pretend to put like put your foot in the door accidentally. So they couldn't just slam the door shut in your face because they would actually injure you and you physically had something that was there. So they're forced to talk to you. Really high pressure sales tactic, but it's become an idiom of, I am forcibly getting to where I want to go and you're not going to shut me out, right? And that's something to say about your first career. So when I say get your foot in the door, it can, it can be a huge Herculean lift. Or if you're doing all this appropriate planning, anticipating the roadblocks that are going to be there and you start addressing those issues now, over the course of the next 10 months, you're doing a little bit every day towards when you actually start putting yourself out there as I'm ready to be hired. There's not much of a transition left for you to start that first. To answer so much, Jack, because it is uh, concrete steps, right? It is something that someone can do right now, starting today, get on their computer, start pulling that information, compiling that document, and really taking these steps, um, you know, really practical advice, um, concrete steps. And I want to explore that just a little more as you were talking about LinkedIn. Um, you know, one of the things that that is huge in cybersecurity is networking. And I don't mean networking, but, you know, talking about networking, relationship building, right? Um, connecting with people who can help bring you along. Um, help you develop these soft skills, make the introductions, help you when you when you get to a point where you know you're stuck on something. The, the cybersecurity larger community is hugely important. So for someone just getting into it, how important is it um, to get, be a part of that community, an active part? And and what are some steps that you can do to to sort of to borrow your phrase, kind of get in your foot in the door with this relationship building yeah so one of the things that i'll tell you is if to start now beyond the planning and the mapping and understanding what steps you're going to take with the time you know time stamps and the timeline linkedin and i know a lot of especially i come from a military background i'm i'm very well of the um, intelligence community um and the use of social media and how it's it is looked on as a plague um you're giving a lot of your own personal information i would recommend one that you start considering your social presence as a persona necessary for a personal brand and the information i mean you can you can control the information that you put out on social media as is necessary to meet uh, operational requirements if you still are active duty or in those types of communities but Realistically, since I've left the military, I have not received a job that has either been through my professional network or through a LinkedIn um, communication of some sort. 
And there was a period of time when I moved to New York where I wasn't working for nearly two months. I didn't know anybody. I had no connections. Um, some things fell through that I was, a job I was planning on getting fell through. I had zero. So I ended up being at a place where no connections, no prospects. I'm living with family. I'm, you know, a single breadwinner for, the, for my family as well. So I was, you know, pushing really hard. I submitted something in the neighborhood of 50 resumes, never got a call back or an interview from any of them. And what I did get a call back from was a recruiter on LinkedIn who reached out to me and said, we have a short-term fill we need to do for a company. Can you take an interview? I said, I can be there tomorrow. And it was in Midtown Manhattan, an hour from me. And I interviewed on a Thursday. I started the job on a Tuesday and it happened to be with Sony Music. And it was because I took the time nine months previous, 10 months previous, as I was leaving the military to start building my profile on LinkedIn. So a couple of things that you need is you definitely need to put a picture in, you need to put a banner in, something that's applicable to uh, the job that you're looking for. You need to take a look at a couple of the classes on the title itself, because that can really dictate. And you need to open yourself up and start making connections. And I will ask that you don't do what I did. I accepted any connection. I applied for any connection, anybody that would take me. Don't do that, because now I'm kind of stuck in this place where um, I have a several thousand connections, but some of them aren't relevant to my job. Some of them aren't relevant to my field. I'm frequently having to go back and, and uh, clean up stuff. So I recommend that you do meaningful social connections. Now, you don't have to give everybody the 10th degree that, you know, ask, just make sure that you're working in the, about the same field and you have something relevant at least for your professional development. Because I, we talked about the steps to get into the field, and you know the path you want to take, if you do the planning and you start building your LinkedIn profile as you're doing this planning, you can start thinking about the connections that you need to make and the, the types of connections that you want to make in your network that will get you where you're going. And that should help you professionally define what it is that you're trying to um, accomplish there. And with that, I would say and suggest that you try and work towards um, if you guys are unfamiliar, Neil Bridges, our chief content officer at INE, on his uh, personal channel, he has a one, LinkedIn 1000 Connect Challenge. Now, these are meaningful connections. And in 30 days, he challenges you to get up to 1,000. Um, I believe I should probably have had the statistics ready, but I want to say it's in the neighborhood of like 400 or 600. If you have over 400 or 600 connections, there is a shift in the algorithm that goes towards your favors where you are promoted higher at recruiters uh, whenever recruiters do searches for you know these types of qualifications or skills um. i didn't realize that we have uh, a lot of people watching on linkedin right now uh, brent thorvaldson jeremary jet uh, patricio Lisa Dawn, thanks so much for, for watching. A lot of questions coming in. Um, and I want to get to one of those questions right now. This is from Jonas Von Glan. Um, he asks, how useful are the ELS certs in getting a job? Ads, by the way, love the courses. Um, but we haven't talked about certs yet. So how useful are these certs, especially when you're, when you're first getting into the field? So I think that they are excellent in the way of you have something to work for. You have a very clear indication that you have accomplished a level of um, learning and understanding at this point in time. Now, I want to be clear about something. Um, certifications are an excellent way to mark your path of understanding and your accomplishment and your capabilities, but you have to be, it is, it is important to understand that they are definitely a snapshot in time that I have done. I've, I've achieved this much. I understand this much. I've this, that, and the other. We are long past the days of a degree will get me a job. A certification will get me a job. A, this piece of paper, singular or a couple of them, will guarantee me anything. So I think it is a very, um, they are extremely useful. 
I really do, um, obviously biased, but I really do believe that the e, uh, you know, ELS or e learn security is what they're describing, um, which is I, you know, our, our certification uh, company for the cybersecurity certs. Um, I really do think that they held, they are important. I think that they are excellent. And one of the things that I love about them is that you accomplish it, you have it, and you're, you know, yes, it's great. You, we, we don't have to um, pay to stay active every year or so, which I personally love. I just paid my membership fees for one of my certifications recently, and I was really frustrated by that because realistically, I'm just, you know, if somebody wants to look me up in this database, I'm, ha I'm having to, uh, I'm having to pay them to make sure that I stay active in a database, an ungodly amount of money. Um, I definitely do prefer the method that we're using for the eLearn security certs, which is you have the snapshot, it's great, it's excellent. And I really do think that certifications are important um, in your landing your career, but also continual development. And I just wanted to take a minute to uh, to call out Jonas on his LinkedIn picture, profile picture. Looking great, Jonas. Uh, I know, Jackie, we are talking about that a few minutes ago and Emma. the importance of having a great, um, you know, a very professional-looking picture out there on a profile and, uh, and a persona. And uh, Jonas, you're looking good, so uh, so thanks for the question. I um, want to get to another, and this is Chris Frazier. He's watching on YouTube right now. Hey, Chris, what do you recommend for a home project that would be worth putting on your resume? Mm, ooh, excellent. Um, so home projects, again, it goes back to A, your uh, career path, and B, your personal brand, something that's reflective of that. You want to get your hands on and get dirty and, you know, start doing things about monitoring or signatures or blue team, and you're into things like DevSecOps and coding, there are plenty of open source projects that you can get involved with. You learn a little bit of uh, um, GitLabs or things like that. And you can actually actively, you know, develop and contribute to things like Security Onions Project. Last I looked at it, it was still um, open source. But any of the security tool, open source security tool communities, um, they will put up, you know, they will post issues and you can go in and start solving them and, you know, make commit requests to how these issues are solved. Other things you can do are things like the Try Hackney group or Hack the Box. Um, if you want to do communities or challenges or whatever else. Uh, Splunk has a great one called Boss of the Sock that they run for blue team exercises. Um, there's also plenty of things for IDFR. Um, I'm sorry, wow, DFIR, a little bit of dys dyslexia there. But DFIR, Digital Forensics Instant Response, where if you search for those labs and challenges, you can proactively um, take a look at those. now. I'll tell you as having been a hiring manager and also helped review plenty of resumes, they don't want to see, nobody wants to see just this laundry list of every single class and certification you've ever had. More so what you want to do with this on a resume is you want to talk about um, and use, you know, bullet point sentences that state your experience in a meaningful way. Um, top 1% on Try Hack Me or um, you know, I have completed, you know, a listing of certifications, as long as the relevant certifications make sense. Um, maybe not if you're somebody with 30 certs, then stick to the ones that are pertinent and top level. Um, but yeah, hope, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think that, um, home projects are interesting because there's so many things that are available and out there. And it's, honestly, it's a, I feel a little, um, left out because when I was starting up, it was definitely wild, wild west. And, you know, we were the ones, we were creating our own labs and then posting them to places. Yeah, um, staying on that in this vein for just a minute, I want to get you another question from uh, Ruthvik Vigunta, I think is how you pronounce your name. Sorry if I, if I butchered that, but watching on LinkedIn, thank you for your question. How important do you think, Jack, are certs in order to get on the resumes to pass the ATS, which companies use while sorting resumes? So I think that there's minimum requirements and those will be listed in the job description. I think that HR, it does have a translation problem where to them certifications 
equal experience, which that's not the case. Like I said, a certification is a, you know, a badge saying that you have achieved this level of understanding at this point in time. Experience comes from the application of that knowledge. And so certifications do not equal experience, right? Um, as far, and I, you know, I will be, I'm going to be honest about this. HR does a bit of gatekeeping when it comes to certifications, and that's unfortunate. Now, I'm seeing a lot more of job postings um, that are dropping certification requirements, or at least certain parts of certification requirements where they can be. Unfortunately, in the federal sector, at least for the U.S., we still have something called 8570, which is which is a by name dictation of requirements um, that applicants or candidates must meet in order just to walk in the door. Um, I really do hope, and I'm looking forward to the day that that goes away, where it is just workforce training and skill sets. But until I think that it's a, I think it's a necessary evil in this time right now and right this second. And I want to change it, and I'm working to change it. I'm working um, with others in, in the industry and talking to who we need to talk to and seeing what we can do to mitigate this barrier to entry because it, it's a problem. It really is a problem. Um, you know, there are... The easiest path is to become 8570 compliant, go move to Northern Virginia, Southern Maryland, and just look around for a contract that is the current cybersecurity hub. You'll get into cybersecurity really quickly there, but you're going to be working on federal architecture. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where you can get your foot in the door and you can meet, all, if you meet all those requirements, but, you know, it move, you gotta, you've got to move to that particular area, that particular place, and jump through so many hoops, and then you get to be in the, I, I know there's a whole another con conversation on the federal space, but the, the, there's difficulties there too, um, and burdensome. And so I think that, yeah, unfortunately it is a necessary evil. Certifications are a necessary evil for the hoops to jump through for certain areas and parts of job requirements, but I'm seeing less of that, which is a really positive turn. I'm cracking up. Uh, you were talking about those bullet points earlier, Nick Barker on YouTube, wondering if uh, if he should put completed tadpoles level one swimming lessons on that bullet point. <laughs> I'm guessing uh, only if you're going for a lifeguard position, Nick. Um, want to get some of the pitfalls, right? The major pitfalls that students should watch out for. Um, where are some of the areas, Jack, where, where you can be on the right track, you can be doing all the right things, checking all the right boxes, and yet there are some trouble areas, some danger zones that people tend to fall into? Yeah, so one, off the top of my head, one pitfall that I get constantly is technology. What laptop do I need because I want to learn cybersecurity? Okay, guys, it, it doesn't matter what technology <laughs> you have. Yes, I, I, I can hear the laughter. It does not matter. As long as you have an internet connection, most of the labs nowadays are in a cloud environment. If you need to bring something down locally, there are ways you can either do that and you know deal with it then, and it might be a little slow, but it should work. Worst case scenario, you learn in a little AWS or Azure, you put up what's called a virtual desktop instance or VDI, and you just do it in the cloud environment and pay for them to do the processing. It's really cheap to do. Um, and I see things like that as pitfalls where I would study this, but I just don't have the resources right now. And re the resources are available. I mean, you know, you, you pay the subscription, you get access to our labs, and you are working in a cloud environment that does all the processing for you. There's, there's no, so some of the pitfalls are the excuses of I need this or I need that, or I, I must have something else or, you know, gaming laptop that has this, that, and the other type of cores for uh, all this cybersecurity work. When you're entering the field, you're doing the fundamentals. Nobody's asking you to create hash tables from a GPU rig. Uh, nobody's asking you to pull down a 200 gigabyte digital forensics file and tear it apart at the bit layer. You know, they're specialized tools. For you. Um, another one of the pitfalls I'm seeing is 
when you do get to be at that time to where you want to leave your current role and start getting into cybersecurity, people think that they must have, you know, I must be this tall to ride. Um, people are thinking that they must meet all the qualifications or the job description before they should even apply, before they should even submit. To that, or um, another big one, one to three years of experience. I must have one to three years of experience for these roles. To all of that, I say, no, you don't, okay? These are requests. These are what they are looking for. And the job market is so, it is, it is an employee market right now. Like companies need cybersecurity folks. They can ask for the moon in which it's a very common business task tactic to ask for the moon and then get, you know, 80, 60% of what you're actually asking for. So you intentionally over ask. Um, it could also be that, you know, the hiring managers asking for the unicorn and will settle with what they receive. Um, but the thing is, is that, and Neil says this beautifully, if they actually had somebody who can do all the things that's listed in a job description, that job would be so boring for that job candidate because they, they aren't learning anything new. They're just pushing buttons at that point. They, they understand the work already. So don't be afraid, and one of the pitfalls is to start applying even if you don't meet all the requirements. That's fine. Um, also take a look at the one to three years of experience. Like I said, no, you don't necessarily need to meet one to three years experience, especially if you're going for a junior role. A lot of times, one, one to three years experience is gatekeeping. Two, I think we need to shift what, a, I grew up in an, uh, a very transitory type of mindset, you know, where when I was coming out of high school, it was still a thing to quote unquote, pound the pavement and go to job to job and get, you know, job rec forms and fill it out. And you're always in, already in a suit and you're handing in your forms along with your resume and for sales jobs, positions, um, talking to the hiring manager right there. And it wasn't, you know, uncommon to start working the next day. Um, and when they, back then, when they said one to three years of experience, they meant you've done this job for one to three years. Now more so what I'm thinking, especially when you're talking about junior level roles and entry level roles, one to three years experience means you have studied one to three years on this type of position. So you understand things like basic networking, uh, what the internet is, how it functions on a relative level, how computers communicate, how they store data, what a processor is, you know what I mean? This, 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 um, so I think that if you were to do try hack me for a year, or you were to do all of our hands-on labs, plus some community challenges, plus getting really involved in InfoSec Twitter even, and reading all the re regular articles for a year, or accelerated six months if you're, you know, cutting your teeth really hard, that's where you could start applying and be within the relative um, you know, you can make a case, a subjective case of, no, let me, you know, have a conversation with me. I'll surprise you. Love the answer. Uh, love the answer, Jack, and, and really love the questions. Thanks. Keep them coming. Keep them coming. We have a few Absolutely. more minutes here, about 15 Good more questions. minutes. So uh, we're going to get to uh, a few more questions here. Um, Jack, you know, you've, you've had this circuitous route um, through your career. I know you mentioned that uh, at the beginning of the stream, but um, if you could talk to your younger self, you know, what, what would you say? What's some advice that you would give little Jack? Um, invest in Amazon. Um, <laughs> no, I, Can you give that one to me yeah. too? That'd be great, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> legitimately though, um, some of the stuff that I would say to my younger self, just off the top of my head is, um, start with a work-life balance. Okay, this is this is a marathon, not a sprint. One of the things that happened to me is I so I, I you know, I was a military member, I had joined the military both, you know, for multiple reasons, one of which to get a step up in life and to learn 
form of a skill or you know something that i could use once i got out of the military i knew i i wasn't going to be one of those people that did 20 and out um for those of you that don't know that comes with a pension and you get paid every month and you know you can by the time you're 48 you could be retired um and but that wasn't going to be me i i very specifically went in for to understand technology as i was leaving and transitioning out of the military though i got scared I, I will be bluntly honest. I like I'm a combat vet. I've been shot at previously, but I was scared to death of not being able to provide for my family. So I legitimately um, burnt myself out on training myself in cybersecurity and what it meant to be blue team and all of these you know skills and roles and when i and i there was a point where i was in a degree program and in one year i finished 53 credit hours and i was traveling at 35 percent that year in a consulting role for the marine corps uh with and that was the same year that my son was born so i also had a newborn so when i say i was burnt out i was burnt out hard and it definitely affected you know my professional life it perf it affected my personal life my relationship with my spouse it um even my kids you know it it it, it became to where for a couple months i was a bit of a bit of a shell because i was so burnt out on information overload and studying and you know information retention and then I got into a role and I didn't qualify for paid time off. So I couldn't even step away if I wanted to. And talking to my younger self, I think I would tell myself that it is refreshing and important to step back sometimes and to have a better work-life balance to protect your mental health. Because I mean, mental health, Especially back then didn't really exist in the uh in the, in the military especially some of the parts i was in um i mean it was a it was an option but it, it was not that encouraged um and i would say that you know you have to look at the longevity of your career and while it is important to you to succeed and be successful and get here and get in you know in that role and i need to break through and i need to break free and my life will change and it, it will it you know it will absolutely con you know transitionally in any year i'm going to be in this role and i'm going to be making this money and i'm going to be six figures or bust or you know all this stuff and all of that eventually can become such a thorn in your side that you it's like a stitch when you're trying to run and you start having trouble to breathe metaphorically speaking but that's where it becomes important to manage this long-term health and stress to take it off and just you know step away every once in a while so while i love your guys' passion and tenacity i also want to make sure that you guys are taking your time to do this you're not gonna rome wasn't built in a day you're not going to be hired exactly you might be hired tomorrow depending on where you are in your path but if you're just now starting and I answered a lot of questions for you, then you're gonna you're not gonna necessarily be able to build your entire career overnight. And that's okay. Uh Catherine, you might be muted. Oh, so and with that too, um up for a second while working out on the audio issues, I will uh take a second to say also that with that i don't want you guys to take that stress and put it into um when you step into your first interview i don't want you guys to take this will change my life and then take that weight of that potential into a job interview and then you cannot perform because you're just stressed and you're worried about what you're going to say because this could be so transformative i'm starting to hear you catherine and with that, that's one of the things I say where you need to balance out, breathe, and you know, get get a good step away as necessary. How you doing, Catherine? No. Well, that's interesting. 
so guys i just want to encourage you to please uh continue to um it's at least on my end i am not hearing anything um anyway i would like to encourage you guys uh, to um continue on with your questions please put a cue in front of them in chat and uh not quite sure what's going on there if, if uh can you hear me jack i can hear you there there, there we you go are, there we go wonderful, all right wonderful wonderful apologize right. guys yeah, you know that's all. It's a part of the fun of live stream, right? Live, live TV, live whatever. It's, it. it's not. Re is it really live if you don't have a technical issue to prove it, right? <laughs> I mean, usually I'm just glad it's not me this time. <laughs> um, all right, yeah, yeah. So, sorry about that. Uh, but uh, what I was starting to say is Keith Job, Josh Mason out there uh, watching veterans, offering other veterans resources. So thank you, gentlemen, both for your service. Uh, Jack, same for you and, and others. Um, who are uh, who have served our country? Thank you so much, um, and that's one of the things we we really love about this community and this stream is that not only are are we able to answer your questions and give you some valuable advice, but um, just reading through this chat, you know, I see you guys who are watching talking to each other and offering each other advice, and that's just that's really cool to see. Um, so, all right, we have time for about one or two more questions, uh, depending on how long Jack wants to talk, right? Um, so I want to get to this one because we had a ton of questions coming in about uh, red team and blue team, offensive and defensive. This kind of checks a few boxes. This is from uh, Vishal Doftor watching on YouTube. Is two to three years experience in offensive enough to go to the defensive side? More than enough. You can enter either side, red or blue team. Um, with, you know, the, as I said, training or experience within six to six months to a year, realistically, healthily, I would suggest a year, pace yourself. Um, so two to three years in offensive is great for defensive. And also, once you start getting some experience in one and trying to transition to the other, you can work into the these siloed compartments called, um, so one would be purple team is what a lot of people are familiar with, which is the combination of red and blue. And it's really basically an audit where you use red team tactics to audit the blue team and vice versa, um, you know, to make sure that everybody is um, achieving at a high rate and standard. You can also do the same when it comes to if you'd like to engineer, you can either engineer for the red side or the blue side, uh, which would be considered technically, a lot of people don't use the terms, but orange team and green team, um, you know, logistically speaking. But yeah, I think that's plenty of time. You, you need to understand the uh, red team and the, the attack capabilities and the technology, which it seems like two years you definitely should. So it would be really easy to do, slide over into blue team and start that transition process. So colorful here in cybersecurity. See, it's fun. It's fun <laughs> and colorful. Um, all right, I just checked my watch. We are going to wrap it up right now. Um, thank you so much for watching, Jack. Thank you for your time to everyone who was watching. Thanks for your engagement and your questions. Uh, if you missed this live, be sure to look for the replay across our so social media channels and on the INE Live website. You can look for us again live next Tuesday, October 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern on whatever social media platform you choose. We'll have INE instructional designer Dr. Amanda Baluk and AWS instructor Brooke Seahorn here discussing the newest INE cloud certification. I know a lot of you guys were involved in the beta period. You'll want to be a part of that conversation as well. And we have a special treat headed, for, uh, headed toward you in honor of October Cybersecurity Awareness Month, as Jack mentioned earlier in the stream. This Thursday, two days, we'll be right back here on INE Live featuring blue team experts Meg Doddlin and Jason Alvarado. We'll be talking about what blue teams can do for your cyber team and why they are so important in the realm of defense. So be sure to like and subscribe on the social media platform you're using so you can stay in the loop when we go live and get notified. You can ask your questions. You can be a part of everything we're doing here at INE Live. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time. Until then, have a great week.